0: One of the, one of the, um, the, the main. I'll say the. It is the flagship week of Christianity. It is everything that we, everything that we built up to, everything that we hope for, everything that we are about. Is. The celebration that comes a week from today, and that celebration is our Easter celebration, Easter Sunday. And it, um, for everything that we do, for everything that we build up to, for everything that we we live for, uh, it is it is the center of all that we do. As a church, as Christians. It is the center of our faith. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul says. If if Jesus was not raised, then our our hope, our faith, um, all that we have is in vain. And for us, our number one core value here at Conduit is that Jesus is everything and that the gospel changes it all. And this week... Holy Week, beginning today with Palm Sunday and moving all the way up into Good Friday, um, the the remembrance of the crucifixion of Jesus, and then Sunday, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. It um, is the 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 culmination of all that we believe. Um. So I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about um, where we are in Holy Week this week, um, for us to maybe understand Palm Sunday. This is a—I uh, uh, mean, jeez, this is a week like like no other. I and not just because it's Holy Week, but because it is um, because of the circumstances that we're in you know, because of the circumstances that we're under. Thanks, substitute Vinny. Appreciate it. Um, uh, because of the circumstances that we're, that we're under. Um, and maybe this, is, maybe this experience of quarantine and live streaming is your first experience at Conduit. And if it is, we, we will welcome you. And we're so glad that you're joining us even in uh, in this environment, today is a day that is traditionally known as Palm Sunday, and um, Palm Sunday marks the marks the time where Jesus um, entered into Jerusalem for what would be the the last time. And um, if you have a Bible with you, or you can pull one up on your phone or uh, whatever you have, we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 is the uh, the main the main portion of scripture that we're going to be reading from. But I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 20 uh, first and verses 17 through 19 because um, To understand the buildup here of what's happening, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, which was the, uh, I guess you could say, like the capital city of the kingdom of God, right? The holy city of God. And uh, Jesus, several times throughout the Gospels, told his disciples what was going to happen at the end of his life. He's uh, like, hey guys, this is, I don't want you to be surprised, I don't want you to be unaware, I don't want you to be in shock, but uh, as, you know, for instance, in Matthew chapter 20, right before uh, he comes into Jerusalem, verses 17 through 19, he says, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be Betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised to life. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem with his disciples knowing full well what's going to happen when he gets there. He He predicts his death. He knows that it's coming. He knows the circumstances behind what he was walking into. The the cross was, was not a surprise for Jesus. And you just wonder and can imagine the tension, the inward, emotional, mental, spiritual tension within Jesus' own heart, knowing that as he was going to Jerusalem what awaited him there and uh, we see like there that there was a tension there for instance if you read ahead and uh, when jesus is praying in the garden of gethsemane right before he's arrested he's praying to the father father if it is possible not my will but your will let this cup pass from me basically like father if there is any other way to let this cup of suffering to what's about to happen. Like if there's any other way. To accomplish the plan of the Father. Than by me doing this. Or going through the, the Lord. Can we do that thing instead? Can we, can we do that thing instead? The, the tension of knowing. What's going to happen. What the plan is. But being absolutely resolute. At the same time. About what needed to be done. The willingness to do. What needed to be done, and then you have Jesus in um, as he as they're coming into Jerusalem. Remember, knowing full well what awaited him. Um, verse or chapter twenty-one, verses one through eleven. Let's be there this morning as they approached Jerusalem and ga- came to Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them they brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. In galilee i think it's interesting that neither matthew nor mark nor luke nor john any of the gospel writers who have an account of the triumphal entry mentioned anything about like the like attitude or countenance of jesus in this moment they described the attitude the countenance, the actions of the crowd, of those that received Jesus coming into the city, the questions that they had like, who is this guy? Oh, this is Jesus, um, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And they describe, the gospel writers describe the celebration of the crowd, waving the palm branches, laying them down on the ground shouting hosanna to the son of david hosanna in the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord all the while i'm kind of wondering like what was jesus doing in this moment as he was riding this donkey into the holy city um and knowing why he was coming into the city but then seeing the reaction of the crowd it must have just been such a strange moment for jesus was he encouraging their celebration? Was he sitting quietly, gently? Was he weeping over what would happen? Over just like the, the misunderstanding of the people about what was happening in that, in that moment. Because for Jesus, it was a much different experience than it was for the crowd for Jesus, it doesn't really seem like it was a moment of celebration at all. Um, I'm reminded of a movie that, I'm um, uh, reminded of a movie, I, it's been a really long time since I've seen it, uh, but it has some really redeeming qualities to it. Um, it's a movie uh, called The Green Mile. Uh, and it's a it's a movie about a a a prison that has a you know a a death row section and the green mile is the like the last walk that the prisoner takes before they are to be executed. And kind of the whole the whole concept of the movie is built upon this little or this um this little section of the prison and the and and, and the walk for Jesus into Jerusalem was kind of like his own green mile, right? His own walk on death row into what he knew uh would be his execution and the disciples i mean the jesus knew and he warned the disciples and so they should have known as well but they still acted kind of shocked at kind of every every turn of events that happened from the moment that they walked into jerusalem until jesus was actually arrested and when he was crucified and then, even when he was resurrected, the disciples were still like, "What's going on?" We had no idea. Even though Jesus told us like eight hundred times what was going to happen, it seems like we still had no idea. And I, it maybe you know, it has maybe become popular to, it has become popular to bag on the disciples about how naive and ignorant and dumb and foolish and how they didn't get it. But um, man i i tend to relate with the ignorant and the the naive and the dumb and the foolish when it comes to god's ultimate plan because there are so many times in my life where i have felt like man i yeah i know what god's doing here yep i completely and totally understand what god is doing and yeah, the plan of God is perfectly clear, and yeah, I can see it for miles ahead, and yeah, I got it all written down here, and I know that this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then, uh, and then what happens? Well, everything opposite of that happens. It's just uh, I I can relate to this I to this feeling of the plan of God the purpose of god the the um the movement of god being just sometimes ridiculously confusing and i think that the disciples were probably suffering under the same type of confusion about what was going what is going on here why does jesus tell us that he's going into the city to die but then everyone is celebrating while he's coming in it doesn't seem to line up here. Like, what? what is God's plan? Like, what is the... Like, it seems like... I don't know. I've been ridiculously confused about what God was doing before. What his plan was for a situation or a circumstance. What his desire was. Where something was going. Like, hey, uh, God, I kind of think you should have zigged when you zagged on that one. And, like... I, the path that was supposed to go this way, but now we're going this way. Like you expected God to do Y, you expected God to do X, but He does something. Um, he does something altogether different than what we were anticipating. You know, maybe you like expected uh, that you would have a specific path to your dream job by the time I'm thirty. I'm going to have my dream job and I'm going to be um married and I'm going to have three kids and you know the white picket fence type of thing. My marriage is going to be strong and I'm going to have a storybook romance and I'm going to be um well off financially. I'm going to be able to be generous and and give and take care of my family or or maybe um maybe the plan that you had was that you know uh, I'm gonna be super strong in my faith, and I'm gonna walk with God every day. And my prayer life is gonna be like deeply rooted part of my uh, of my everyday life. And I'm gonna be memorizing the Word, and I'm gonna be super fruitful and effective for the kingdom. And like I got all these plans, and I got all these goals, and I got all this direction, right? And then life just goes, whoosh, or it goes the other way. And we're left feeling like, hey, God, like we kind of had this plan. We kind of had this agreement. We kind of had this understanding about the direction that we were going. And now you're taking me this direction. Or I'm way off in left field over here or right field over here. And I just don't know what to make of it. I don't know what is going on. can imagine the tension between the plan of God and the expectations of the crowd in the moments when Jesus was walking in because we just read how celebratory the city was at this point in Jesus walking in riding into the city now why why would that be why would there why would the attitude of those In Jerusalem, be as it was in this moment. Well, it's important for us to understand, again, what is happening in the progression of Jesus' life here at this point. What is happening in the moment of um, celebration. Okay, So, Jesus was said to have come into Jerusalem during the Passover festival. Okay. Now, pa- Passover was, bar none, without a doubt, the most important um, celebration and event for a Jewish person. Still is. Okay, It was the, the moment where the Jewish people, they remember God's deliverance of them um, out of slavery in Egypt. And when the the Spirit of God um, uh, passed over the houses and the dwellings that had the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts, on the door frames, and they would celebrate Passover, remember Passover every year, and there was a great kind of pilgrimage of Jewish people that came to Jerusalem every year during Passover, and it would absolutely pack. Out the city, the city would be the city would be packed with reverent um, um, pilgrim seeking Jewish people eager to celebrate Passover with the rest of their Jewish people, and so the city was packed way more than it ever was during a normal time of year. It also um, says here that they. Um, the disciples went, in verse 6, and did as Jesus instructed them. He brought the donkey, a very large cl- uh, crowd, spread their cloaks in the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread um, the branches on the road. And they waved them in the air, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we get this image, you know, on Palm Sunday of all of these palm branches waving in the in the air as jesus is riding that donkey into the city and they're they're shouting exclamations of hosanna to the son of david now what well, palm branches they were they were specific they had they had specific meaning they were they were a um this this was like a, almost like a military procession of victory as like a as a as a general was riding back into the city after being victorious in battle palm branches were used as a sign of as a sign of victory they would wave them in the air we are we have been victorious our our leader is back from the fight he is back from the war and as jesus was marching into the city people were taking those palm branches and laying them out on the road and waving them in the air and kind of this like ceremonial symbolic gesture of we have victory it is it's here like, the coming of our King is here. Look at Him coming down. They're waving them in the air. Hosanna! Savior! Save us! He is here, the great Savior. Hosanna is what that means. Hosanna to the Son of David! If you know, that's a... Uh, maybe just rolls off of our lips like we don't really think much of it but for a Jewish person to say Hosanna to the son of David David was the greatest king that the nation of Israel that the Jewish people had ever known they revered him as a great military leader as a great warrior slaying the great giant Goliath leading the Israelite people being a a, a man after God's own heart. And of course, um, you know, there the, the the connection here that we'll talk in the, in, in a moment about the, the prophecy of the Messiah, the next, the great and eternal king of Israel coming from the, the house and lineage of David. But they were they were celebrating Jesus. That crowd was celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem that day with great fanfare, with great exclamation, in victory, declaring um, him to be in the, the line, in the same, the same ballpark, the same room, to the, uh, as David, the, the, the most fantastic military leader and king that Israel had ever known up until that point. Now, that all sounds awesome. And it is. But there is so much laying underneath the surface that brings a tremendous amount of clarity to what is happening there in those moments when Jesus is riding that donkey into the city of Jerusalem that day. Because you, th- you would think that everything that would happen after what we read here would be about Jesus' rise, gradual rise to power. Because obviously everyone is excited for him to be there. And thinks that he's the Savior. Thinks that he's coming into victory. Declares him, um, you know, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? That That they would elevate him to king status. So why was it that just a few days later, he was hanging on a cross. What happened? What in the world happened? Well, the city of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, um, were not autonomous at this point in their existence. And in fact, they had not been autonomously led for generations as, as as, firm and as strong as the promises of God to establish the Israelite people, to establish the Jewish people under covenant and under promises, that, that covenant was established based on the people's trust in God as their Lord, as their King. And as the people strayed away from the covenant of God, the promises of God, they they, they strayed outside the, I guess you'd call it like the circle of God's providential protection, right? And so throughout the history of the Israelite people, throughout the history of the Jewish nation, they had been conquered and then unconquered and then reconquered and then conquered again and then like reestablished as an autonomous nation and then conquered again and like where we are in the story here is that they had been conquered by um the Assyrians and then the uh they had been conquered by the the Babylonians and now um and now the Roman Empire right the Roman Empire was great and expansive, right? And the, the, the Romans had a, a, like a huge territory uh, part of the world, and Jerusalem and, and uh, the promised land was a part of that. And so the Jewish people were not autonomous, even in their holy city. They were under Roman rule. They were under Roman government. They were under Roman, what they considered to be, Not just rule and government, but under Roman oppression. They were not free to govern themselves. They were not free to make decisions on their own. And probably most severely, Caesar, who was the supreme and ultimate leader of the Roman Empire, demanded that people call him Lord. Now for a Jewish person in this time that is absolute blasphemy you know that there is, there, is, there is no other God but the true God right so for them to be ruled by an empire and a government whose leader said no 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 no, no. your God is not your God I am your God I am your Lord. There was nothing more culturally, religiously, emotionally oppressive than just that statement. The, the fact that, they, that, the, that the Jews were under this extreme oppression, not free to be themselves, not free to worship as they believe God had called them to, They were were in another form of like Egyptian slavery. Right? So you imagine all of these people packing into the city of Jerusalem, celebrating Passover, which was the celebration of God's great deliverance from the oppression of the Egyptian empire. And now they have this Messiah, prophet, king marching into the city, and they're under the same type of oppression from the Roman Empire, and the Jews are like, yes, finally, finally, we have a king to unite under, we have a ruler to unite under, we have someone who is going to bring victory, who is going to bring salvation from this oppressive regime of Caesar and the Roman Empire. And this was not just something that they made up out of thin air. There have been long, long-term prophecies all the way back to um, the, king, the kings. 2 Samuel, David himself in Psalm um, chapter 110, 110 verses 1 through 4, himself proclaimed that there would come a king greater than him. Whom he would call Lord, but that would be in his lineage. Of course, we celebrated um, in uh, Advent season here at Conduit the, the weeks before um, the weeks before Christmas about the prophecy from um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, Isaiah chapter eleven, how how the. Um, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the the Savior of the world, the Savior of the, the Jewish nation would would come, and it would come out of the house in lineage of Jesse and David, and it would be and and and, and he would come and and reestablish the kingdom of God and the rule of God and the the yeah, the kingdom of god right and so now here's this guy in the house of lineage, lineage of david who has done miraculous signs and wonders who was considered to be a prophet and who was marching into the capital holy city of jerusalem during the most important time symbolic time and celebration of freedom from oppression, Passover. And so all of these Jewish people who were here were there celebrating this, um, celebrating this moment where they believed that Jesus was coming in to liberate them from slavery and oppression. To, to remake the circumstances and environments of their current reality. To establish himself as the true king and lord in Israel. To establish himself over and against the Roman Empire. To kick them out of the holy city. And to begin the sovereign reign of God once again. And so yeah, they were celebrating with all that they had to say, Hosanna, victory. Get out the palm branches. The time is finally here. We knew it. We knew this was what was going to happen. But why didn't it? What was missed? You see, the the people, they had a really clear expectation about what Jesus was coming into the city to do. They had a really clear expectation Expectation of what the plan of God for them was in this moment. What the path to freedom was for them in this moment. They were so anticipating and expecting that Jesus would come in and change their, their current reality, their current circumstances, to finally, well, finally, we're going to get to rule over the Romans instead of them ruling over us. We're going to get our time. We're going to get our moment. We're going to get our victory. And I wonder how many of us this morning, how many of us, just in life in general, want... Both want and expect God to show up in some fantastic ceremonial procession into our circumstances and change everything that's going on. Like we have this idea of 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 what of what it means to be victorious over the Roman oppressors, right? We have this idea of what, it, what God is coming, like shooting into our lives to do. Just like the Jews had this idea of what Jesus was coming into the city to do. We have this idea of what God is, is, is coming into our lives to do. What God is coming into our circumstances to touch and change and redeem and set us free from To maybe eliminate. God's going to come in and he's going to take away all of my fear. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. God's going to come in and he's going to take away all of my anxiety. Or I'm not going to be angry anymore. Or I'm not going to be lonely anymore. All of my pain gone. All of my depression gone. All of my questions answered. God's rushing in. Waving the palm branches. Victory is here. Here I am in a moment in the blink of an eye. at At the word of my mouth. Everything, every circumstance is changed. But I wonder, going back to what we were talking about a little while ago, about the difference between the attitude of the crowd and however Jesus was feeling walking into this or riding into the city that morning. Like, what do you think his? What, what, what do you think his demeanor was? Because all of these people were celebrating, anticipating, and expecting that they were that they were going to receive deliverance from a certain thing, and Jesus was like, "I'm coming to deliver you, indeed. I'm coming to free you, indeed. I'm coming to to." Um, To beat down and destroy the oppressor. But not the oppressor of your circumstances. The oppressor of your soul. The oppressor of your heart. And it would seem like the people would have a little bit of understanding. I mean, honestly, like, what conquering king rides into his capital holy city on a donkey. It seems like that would have rewritten the expectations like right away because I think of like if a king is riding into his holy and capital city in order to make a big splash I, I think back to like the old Disney movie Aladdin, right where, Aladdin is like, genie, I want you to make me into a prince so he can win the heart of Jasmine, right? And so the genie does all these fantastic things and they, they waltz into the city and like trumpets and fanfare and elephants and power and like glitz and glam and pomp and circumstance, like just an amazing procession of royalty, And it would seem like do you think Caesar would have have stood for riding into the city on a donkey? I don't think so. I think that Jesus was coming into the city in a new way. Being silent about it, really. But asking the people to reconsider what it means to be free. To reconsider what it means to be out from under the yoke of oppression. And whether or not you need to be out out from under the yoke of your Horrible circumstances in order to be truly set free, because Jesus was about to set people free without changing their circumstances. Because the circumstances would have dictated that, hey, Jesus, fight back. What? J- Wait a second, Jesus. Like, no, we're we're going for victory here, Lord. Why aren't you fighting back? Why aren't you defending yourself in front of the high priests? Why aren't you defending yourself in front of Pontius Pilate? Why are you stopping the disciples from defending you in the garden when the mob comes to arrest you? Why aren't you calling down legions of angels? Why aren't you doing miracles right in front of everyone? Jesus How can you call yourself a king? A lord. And let yourself be trapped, arrested, tried, and executed. That's not what kings do. That's not what rulers do. We thought you were coming to give us true freedom from the oppressor. I mean, looking forward even into the, into the, um, you know, like post-resurrection, even after Jesus, the tomb was empty. Jesus um, uh, had been resurrected from the dead by uh, by the by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. He appeared to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 and the disciples even at that point were like, hey, hey Lord, now that you're back and resurrected from the dead, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now when you're going to do it? Is now when you're going to kick the Romans out? And even after all that had gone on in the last few days the disciples still had this expectation that the rule and reign of Jesus, the freedom that Jesus came to give people was military and political political and governmental rather than freeing their souls from the yoke of slavery to sin and death. You see, what I believe is so true about the life of Jesus, about the rule of Jesus, about the leadership of Jesus, is that Jesus was taking what the world thought they needed in a king. What they thought they need needed delivered from. And he completely turned it on its head. He took the expectations of the world. We need our circumstances changed, God. We need... We need out from underneath the boot of this oppressor, in order for us to live a faithful life to you, to worship you in all that we do, to, um, to to truly be all that we've been created to be, Lord. We need we need freedom from these people, and we need you to be strong, and we need you to fight back, and we need you to come in with with. Um, you know this, this big procession, this military victory, proclaiming your rightful place in the line and the lineage of, of of David. We. This is what we. This is what we need this is this is what a leader does and, and this is what a Lord should do and, and and God this is what you should do in my life and this is how you should do it and this is how I expect it should go and this is what I need from you in order to live fulfilled, in order to live happy, in order to live spiritually like fit and healthy going forward. And what Jesus does is like he takes that thing, that expectation, and he just whoosh, turns everything over on its head. And instead of fighting, he remains silent. And instead of coming in with the Aladdin-type procession, he comes in riding on a donkey. And instead of calling down legions of angels, he surrenders himself humbly and makes himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. Maybe the the important question for us this week, this Holy Week, starting today, going into Good Friday, uh, and then going into Easter Sunday, is do, do we want Jesus as we merely expect him to be in our lives? Or do we want Jesus for who he actually is and what he actually does? Because sometimes those things are radically different. Maybe saying it another way. Is God servant to our expectations or does God set our expectations? Is God in service to our expectations? Or does God set our expectations. Maybe in this season, right now, you expect loneliness, fear, boredom, depression, anxiety, worry, anger. Maybe you expect to be financially down and out maybe you expect to be fine maybe you expect to persevere maybe you expect to be the perfect homeschooling parents maybe you expect to have it all together maybe you expect to be a great leader maybe you expect to just be falling apart at every moment but what if instead of setting my own expectations for this time what if setting what if, what if instead of setting my own expectations for what Jesus is going to do in me and through me in this season, in this moment, I simply ask him, say to him, Jesus, I trust you to do what you're going to do. I trust you to be who you truly are. I trust you to take me on the path that you know is best for me. I trust you to produce in me the good that you have promised to produce. I do not want you, Jesus, as I expect to receive you in all of my wildest dreams and imaginations. Jesus, I want you for who you truly are, (laughs) for what you're truly going to do, for what I am truly supposed to be? How much different would our lives be? How much more silent would our circumstances become if, like, for instance, the disciples remembered, believed, and took seriously what Jesus said to them right before they marched into Jerusalem? We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They're going to condemn me to death. I'll be turned over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. And then on the third day, I'm going to be raised to life. How would that have changed their circumstances? how would that have changed their mindset how would that would have changed their expectations because i mean like we're kind of getting into like the sermon for easter but like they after jesus had died the disciples were not waiting patiently and expectantly at the tomb for jesus to come out they were hiding in fear that they were next because they followed Jesus. So even their expectations at that point were dashed. We're completely different. We're completely changed. I don't know what your expecting Jesus to do in your life. I don't know what you're asking Jesus to do. And I think in a lot of regards, Jesus has different things for each of us in this season that he desires for us. Maybe maybe God's greatest desire and expectation for you in this season is to really work hard. Maybe God's greatest expectation and desire for you in this season is for you like maybe god's been trying to get you to slow down and hear him and rest and be comfortable like in your own skin for years and you just like have plowed along plowed along plowed along not listening working hard keeping going embracing the grind love doing it right and maybe god's been like yo slow down slow down listen to me hear me know that i am here know that i am with you like you've wanted the you've wanted the king of military victory political victory you've wanted the king of kicking the oppressors out and jesus just wants to be the king of your heart Jesus just wants to be the king of your marriage. Just wants to be the king of your home. Jesus wants to be the king of your plans going forward, of your, your, your job aspirations, your financial aspirations. Jesus wants to be the king of your parenting. Jesus wants to be the king of your mind. He wants to be the king of your emotions. He wants to He wants you to stop with all the expectations of who he should be and what he should do and just let him do what he does do. And I think that when we let him do what he wants to do, I don't think this, I know this, that when we just do, let him do what he wants to do, we find the freedom that we've always been looking for what has seemed so elusive, has seemed so out of reach, has seemed so like just one step ahead of me, just can't ever get there, just can't ever make the grade, just can't ever feel like, man, I'm, I'm there. I trust. I trust. I trust Jesus. I trust the Spirit of the living God So much in your life that he he wants to do that, that he will do that when we just set aside our expectations and let him set the playbook, let him make the decisions, let him guide our heart and guide our plans. Let our worship be for the gentle, the kind, the humble Savior that rides on a donkey (laughs) rather than the victorious military general (laughs) type of expectation that we have set. Jesus does not come to fulfill expectations. Jesus comes to flip expectations on their head. I hope that um, you will choose to join us for Good Friday service. Uh, if you missed the announcements this morning, uh, we'll have a, uh, a service here on our, on our live stream, uh, Facebook, YouTube, on um, this coming Friday at, at 7 p.m., Make sure you. Um, we want you to be prepared. We're gonna we're gonna be celebrating communion together during that service, as is our um, tradition and custom here at Conduit. So have a you know some bread and some juice or some wine um, that you and whoever's with you, your family, can celebrate communion with. We'll um, we'll we'll walk through that together. It won't be a it won't be a long thing. Um, we're gonna keep it to an hour. And uh, so join us at 7 p.m. on Friday, and then join us again at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday next week. Remember, if you, haven't, um, if you haven't yet filled out that Google form, that's on our Facebook page. Uh, go to the Facebook page, or you can find the link, I think, in the chat comments of whatever stream you're, lo- you're watching right now. We have something that we want to mail you. Uh, we need those addresses like ASAP. Uh, so that we can get those to you and make sure that you have them in hand, you and your family, by Easter Sunday. When you receive them in the mail this week, don't open them. Hold on to them. Wait until we all open them together on Sunday morning, okay? Um, I'm going to invite the band back up and uh, uh, would you would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we come to you, Lord, surrendering, our own expectations, surrendering what we... Lord, we have so many plans. (laughs) We have so many expectations. We have so many desires about what our life should look like, about what we should do, about where we should be. Lord, and we have so many expectations about who you are in our life. We want you to fix the circumstances, Lord, but we don't always want you to fix our heart. We want you to change what's going on in our lives to set us free from the the pain of our circumstances, Lord. And rightly so. Lord, we trust and believe that you don't want us to be in those circumstances either. But sometimes we become so focused on the symptoms, Lord, that we ignore that you have come to address the problem. Lord, maybe you are... Not the Savior that we wanted, but you certainly are the Savior that we needed. Jesus, would you save us? Come, Lord Jesus, and save us. Save us from our pain. Save us from our hurt. Save us from our sin. We trust in you, our King. In Jesus' name, amen.